Welcome to everyone tuning in. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Jillian Perkins. I'm the Director of Communications at Arnarch Messina, a Portland-based investment advisory firm, bringing our unique and disciplined process and philosophy to nonprofit endowments and foundations, high net worth individuals and families, and corporate clients. Welcome to part one of our Impact Investing series in which we're exploring the why, what, and how of impact investing. Arnarch Messina has been focusing research efforts in this area for more than a decade now, and we're really excited to offer our clients a complete multi-asset class portfolio with an impact focus, and one that we think has great outperformance potential. Today we're going to start by talking about how we got there, discussing the history of our impact research and how the landscape has shifted over the last 10 years. So it is my great pleasure to introduce Arnarch Messina's co-CIOs, Tony Arnarch and Brian Shipley. Thank you to both of you for being here today and sharing the story with us. So let's start by going back to 2007-2008, just before Arnarch Messina published the first white paper on the topic, Sustainable Investing Opportunities in a Green Market. What was happening at that time and what sparked your interest in what back then was being called sustainable investing? Um, in 2007-2008, there was a lot happening that it wasn't very sustainable and so it was a really tumultuous time to be launching uh, a new uh, investment strategy, uh, even though it made a ton of common sense as it related to what it was attempting to do. Mm -hmm. You know, as we, you know, forward 10 years ahead today, 2018-2019, the genre has um, uh, kind of reemerged and there's a lot more interest. So mm -hmm. we're really excited to share what we have learned over the past decade. Mm -hmm. So um, when you think about it, you think about Arnold Messina with a lot of expertise in picking managers and building great portfolios. We were able over that 10 year period to fund managers right. in, you know, A, first of all, define what it meant to us yeah. to try to take the language and make it relational to institutional investors. Right. We really struggled back in 2007, 2008, not only because of the crisis, but because the language around yeah. the genre connoted philanthropy, left of center activism, yep. uh, right of center pinko. Who, who knows what was conjured up in the minds of the investors at that time, but the industry or the genre didn't do a good job defining it. So we felt definition was really important. Right. Yeah, and to kind of put context in 2002, 2007 and 2008, you know, this is pre-financial crisis, so everyone was feeling really good about equity valuations, portfolios had grown dramatically. This was kind of right on the tails of the boom in emerging markets and really kind of everywhere across the globe, which was kind of relying heavily on kind of old school commodities to make that happen. Mm -hmm. But you saw this emergence of new technologies, whether it was solar, um, big improvements within wind power, some movement within kind of the electronic car industry. And you just saw people, their willingness to take risk and look forward seemed to actually relax a little bit when portfolios had done really well. And so there was some interest, but even at that time, it was a lot of talk and then we had the financial crisis. Right. And then when we had the financial crisis, right. and after Brian and I, you know, kind of donning missionary garb and speaking all over the country about the opportunity and the availability of institutional quality managers to be able to fund the genre, we got zero phone calls back. Wow. Zero. Wow. I mean, not, I mean, we must have spoken to at least a thousand people yeah. Yeah. And, and qualified people. Right. Well, part of it was probably the crisis. 
probably was part of it was us. I thought we were somewhat humorous, uh, especially when you show up in, uh, you know, but in, in, you know, in priest garb, uh, you know, just because we were really kind of missionaries at that yeah. point. I mean, we were out there proselytizing that this was an opportunity that we saw. There were managers that were taking advantage of it. So come on, folks, let's put your money where your where your dreams are. Right. But you well, had you had there was managers out there, but you had to look pretty ooh. hard to find those managers. In fact, you know, during that period, a big part of kind of our philosophy and what it meant to us is we didn't want clients to have to have to sacrifice returns. And so that meant kind of holding that same standard that we have for any kind of traditional or, or private equity manager. Um, to the same return expectations, the same quality of the institution, and mm -hmm. and frankly, you could almost count on one hand the number of global equity managers that really kind of fit that criteria. And so we actually had to go all the way out to to to, to Zurich in Switzerland to find a manager who had really been kind of the godfather in the space. Was really wasn't known in the United States at all. Had a decent presence in Europe and had been doing a lot of the heavy lifting from what we, we now call an ESG perspective where they were actually doing the homework on these managers and understanding how these companies were kind of embracing and looking at risks that were posed to their businesses and how to factor that into their investment uh, analysis of these companies. And, and they didn't have product available to U.S. investors. And so mm -hmm. Tony and, and our clients uh, took the lead and actually we created a mutual fund for our clients to be able to invest in this really great portfolio that kind of blended this ESG mindset of of looking for leaders in industries that weren't necessarily tied to sustainability in and of itself, but thinking about Nike and how they think about how water impacts their the materials that goes into the products that they create, but then also kind of um, weaving in what we think is really more of an impact approach, and that's really kind of touching on the themes. And Tony's going to touch really deeply on on really four themes that we've identified. And so it was this per it was this really nice blend of this ESG mindset to get really diverse, diversified exposure, but then kind of getting more of the alpha enhancement coming through these themes that we saw. So when was that that you put that together and what was the response from people? Yeah, that was 2008, 2009 that I think yeah. we launched that mutual fund. We had great, I, I was really, really happy with kind of our client response to that, to, to take that leap of faith and, and, and really kind of provide the seeding for this new fund that just didn't exist at the time. You know, outside of these walls, though, there's some skepticism. Yeah, there, there's healthy skepticism, but we're really fortunate because our clients, we've done a good job in building portfolios. They trust us to do thorough work. Right. They know how we think. So we were able to almost germinate or test tube uh, uh, some of these strategies. Mm -hmm. And as time went on and the... Um, uh, more and more was written about the different words. I mean, I can I can remember them all. Whether it was green or socially responsible or impact or ESG or whatever. What the heck did that mean? Right. I mean, what 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 did that really mean? And right. then more. How could you ever measure it? Right. Right. I mean, you know, think of the challenge. Yeah. New genre. Everybody everybody kind of heads nodded, but then when it came down to really yeah. you know deploying capital to make change, it it, it sort of. Stop. And I think one of the things about us in the investment business, what we saw, we weren't able to articulate yeah, right. well because I think there was this overhang uh, on, the, uh, on, the, on the genre. Right. right. So as we toiled, funding, learning, finding managers in Zurich, finding managers in other locations, what we found was Europe mm. and the rest of the world was way ahead yeah. of the United States. Yeah. <clears throat> And, and so everybody that you know that you were getting where there was any traction in the space was happening in Europe and Asia. Yeah. 
Uh, kind of interesting in a country that has led the technological revolution to be behind so far when the basic then uh, thesis of sustainability is, you know, sort of trying to solve problems that have been created by global population growth or what we call around here the law of unintended consequences. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't think there's a corporation who knowledgeably polluted the water uh, right. in order to kill downstream people. I mean, and if they were, they should go to jail. But I mean, there was a lot of stuff happening, you know, in rapid industrialization. Mm -hmm. And those unintended consequences uh, were what we were trying to solve. And here we are, the greatest nation in the world. Look at the iPhone. I mean, the iPhone came out, displaced what? It displaced a, 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 an alarm clock. It, it displaced a, a camera. It displaced a... Uh, your home line. I mean, just think of the economic impact of that iPhone. Yeah. But the unintended consequence of that iPhone are still, we're still dealing with it. One of them, we know that the incidence of child yeah. mental illness has risen right. dramatically from the outset of the iPhone. Yeah. I don't know Steve Jobs personally, but I'm highly confident he would have thought twice about the impact of the iPhone yeah if you'd only known what the unintended consequences are. Yeah. Um, so for us, it was really just about observing and defining and getting comfortable. And then Brian, who leads an incredible uh, group of analysts, let's go out and find uh, the pieces of the puzzle that right. we could build a, a portfolio. Uh, and what is really frustrating to us is all of the uh, conferences we go to, all of the uh, things we hear about, everybody puts the caveat in here, but we don't think we'll be able to perform. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is, that's the frustrating part, because we know we can. Right. Under the same theory that anybody builds a portfolio of active and passive managers by doing due, good due diligence, you can extrapolate this theme with this yeah. team of analysts to get a highly confident portfolio. And has that shifted over time, investor awareness? Like, are people feeling you know, differently about it now than 10 years ago? I would say it's shifted pretty considerably. So not only the awareness of it, I think is it definitely rhymes with kind of that 2008, 2009 period where again, equity markets have largely been pretty productive and robust and that makes people willing to right. kind of consider new things. But um, I think the marketplace has evolved a lot. So again, kind of going back to that comment where we had to actually kind of manufacture some product to actually um, bring some interesting things to our clients today there's a lot of different opportunities. We mm -hmm. we don't feel like we're necessarily having to create those products internally for our clients. They exist out in the marketplace today. And I'd say the other really interesting uh, uh, concept around ESG in particular is that's a conversation that happens in nearly every manager meeting that we have today. That oh, didn't wow. happen 10 years ago. And just to clarify, ESG, environmental, social, social governance. governance. So yeah, again, kind of thinking about how those risks kind of can influence a company's return on a go-forward basis and how to factor those into your investment analysis of those companies. Well, so not just investor awareness, but the industry yeah. awareness. Yeah. Well, and, and I think a lot of this awareness is coming from demographic and mm -hmm. social, and social just, just demographics. I mean, we have the emergence of women. Mm -hmm. Women are going to be more sensitive. They're more long-term. They're the matriarchs of the family. They're going to think out about their wonderful children and, child and, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and they're not yet right. born. Mm -hmm. I think that has a lot to do with it, mm -hmm. women. I think as time goes on, older white males are being eclipsed by a more diverse group of investment committee members. Mm -hmm. That's gonna help. Mm -hmm. And now when you look around, 
Uh, you look in the West with the water shortage. You look at in many you know uh, tribes in Africa or cities in Africa have to walk hours to get potable water. Right. I mean, it's happening right in front of us. And unfortunately, the focus of America is not on solving the 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 the. the systemic problems from unintended growth, but we are bickering and arguing about all, you know, stuff that isn't really gonna um, get us very far because right. we have a lot of damage to fix. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so for us, as we went through this journey, finding managers, our clients were great, allowed us to fund them. We found, you know, water opportunities. We found uh, food opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know, these are big sectors. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, uh, uh, new, uh, new, new, evolving things. We're talking about this, you know, the staff of life. Water. Basic needs, right. right? Now, if you're in the West and you took the time to understand water, and if you if you did some some research, you you realize that it was essential to human life, and it was you know being depleted and polluted at a rate that you know right. won't sustain life in the long run. Yeah. Then you, then you look at food. The two of them are inexorable: food and water. But healthy living, you know, a fabulous theme. Uh, then energy. I mean, you know, think about what the world needs, and that's what we evolved yeah. to. So we took all the language, and we said, okay, we have a we have an opportunity at Arnish Messina to define something that is so important, to deploy capital to make change, to change the the, the, the problems of unintended consequences. Let's let's start to focus our energy on sector themes mm -hmm. that really had were going to have the biggest impact. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what we did was we took all the, the gobbledygook noise, all the genre, all the labeling. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this whole concept of ESG is comical to me because every great manager is going to understand their environmental, social, and governance right. issues. There's no company, no manager wants to buy a company that's polluting the river that it sits on. I mean, if you don't do your homework, you can't uh, you know, adjudicate your risk. So for us, this is also normal. Right, this was what we do for a living. Um, and, and then as time went on, you know, and the last couple of years, uh, what we did at Arnish Messina, we said, okay, we're pretty confident that we can build a multi-asset class portfolio. Yeah. Brian, you, and the, you and, the, and the great team that you have, go out and find them and build a multi-asset class portfolio that, that touches all the themes, that incorporates all the good energy from all those great words and puts it in a best of class yeah. to where your portfolio will be socially responsible, it will be green, it will be ESG, and it will make an impact. Mm -hmm. And the, the one thing that it can't do is to do the mission-based investing, which we think tends to be a little bit more local. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, we're, we're here in Portland, we can do it, but this, because this is where we live, but we would, you know, encourage every advisor in every city to, to do what they can do locally. Um, uh, whether it be affordable housing, whether it be uh, you know a better water quality, all those kinds of things that, that can be done locally. Right. Uh, but these portfolios that we're building, we, we, we will maintain that they will perform with the same characteristics, with the same level of outperformance available, to with the same process that yeah. you would do it and build a portfolio without the uh, the um, allocation right. to to, to uh, so we wanted to do it so if you wanted to carve out a piece of your portfolio, which we think is the first step, yeah. all the way if you wanted to be 100% all, all in. Yeah. In fact, and, and then, you know, where is the biggest impact going to be? Well, you know, fixed income, yes. Equities, yes. But real estate, 
private real estate and private equity are where most assuredly the world's greatest impacts are going to come from. And you look at some of the companies that we own today uh, in water, in food, and you say, oh my, or in healthcare or in energy, uh, no one is going to argue with the impact that these companies are making. And and I think for us, the the spotlight's on us, and so we have to succeed. Yeah. You know, there is, this is not a space where we feel like failure is even part of the genre. Well, that's my next question is, you have rolled out this multi-asset class portfolio, made this available to investors. Last year, the firm published another white paper, Impact Investing, Why, What, How. What are your hopes for the future? What's What do you see going forward? Well, I, I see a crisis if we don't, mm-hmm. okay? So, you know, either, People will respond ahead of a crisis or they'll respond very dramatically in a crisis. But the crisis that we're responding to is a insidious one because you just can't replenish the world's water overnight. Mm -hmm. You can't stop the global warming tomorrow, okay? You can't shut all the coal plants down tomorrow, which would solve much of our carbon problem. Um, It just, it's gotta, it's gotta come today with a 10 to 20 year plan and it needs all the support yeah the government not very very confident philanthropy not very confident right what i'm confident in is the american capitalistic system and and the uh, entrepreneurial spirit that we have here the vibrant private equity and venture capital here we must take our best and brightest allocate um, their efforts towards solutions and then fund them in a commercial way because we're not socialism, we're not communism, we're a capitalistic company and I think that these types of solutions happen best within capitalism. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well said. Um, wonderful. Well, I would really like to thank both of you, Tony and Brian, for your insights. This is a great story and terrific background for our next podcast in this in Impact Investing series. So in part two, we'll dive deeper into what impacting investing is now, why it is important, and then in part three, we'll dive even deeper into the specific thematic ideas and some of the opportunities that we are seeing. Um, so thanks to both of you for being here today, and thanks to everybody for listening today. For more information at any time, please visit arnertmessina.com and you can read our white paper there, Impact Investing, Why, What, How, or an executive summary of the paper, as well as watch our short video about impact investing. Look for the next podcast coming soon. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Arnerch Messina's podcast. Please see the podcast description for important copyright and disclaimer information.